Good morning, Impactors. That's my favorite singing from you guys in probably a month. Way to go. Just to lift up the name of Christ. Maybe you knew the songs. I don't know what brought you out. But listen, I love the message that we have today. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a tough one. There may be a little bit of an opportunity to be offended. By the way, Jesus has many names. You know what one of the things he's called is? A stumbling stone. Today you'll find out why. Why he's a stumbling stone and an offense to many. That's, that's sort of the part that probably you know, gets you a little bit nervous. But here's the good part. If you will get over that hump, that little stumbling stone, there's something beautiful on the other side of it. Like I said, it's a tough one, but it's a good one if you will yield to what Jesus says here. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. While you're doing that, I'm going to pray for us. Father, I just pray that like the first service that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, minister to us. Help us to know that though this path is going to seem to just about everybody hearing it, unless they're on it, completely upside down, completely illogical, opposite of what the world would teach. Father, help us to know in our hearts uh, that you are true, Lord. This leads to happiness, fulfillment, and abundant life, Lord. The other path that looks right leads to misery, God. And I pray that many will cross over, many will change roads because of what they hear today. Open the eyes and ears of our hearts. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Well, gang, I'm not a big fan of talk shows. Sorry, Oprah, if you're listening somewhere. Some people probably think she is. They elevate her too much. Um, but I have seen a couple of, of uh, Dr. Phil's. Anybody ever watch that one? Let's have confession time. Raise your hand if you've ever watched Dr. Phil. All right, it's okay. See, lightning didn't strike you. I don't think I've ever seen a Dr. Phil from beginning to end for obvious reasons. I just can't take it. It seems like a slightly more subdued Jerry Springer. There's still dysfunctional people on there. In fact, what they do with their lives just blows your mind. But... He does have this one thing. He's got this question that he asks, and I got to say, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. In fact, I think if more Christians routinely asked this question, then they would be on the right path. In fact, they would experience more favor from God and more blessing if they just asked this question. Like I said, it's a brilliant question. Want to know what it is? Who was that? No, no, it's Gary. That's okay, Gary, because you're the only one. I will tell you because they don't care. Here, all right? Here is the question that he asked. It's brilliant. He says, how's that working for you? Remember how he says it? How's that working for you? I mean, duh, it's just such a logical thing. If we're on a path and absolutely everything's going wrong, shouldn't we go, wait a minute, how's this working for me? It's not. But you know, almost nobody asks that. And what's the definition of insanity? over and over again, and expecting different results. That's how a lot of us live our lives. We'll just, this isn't working. Why don't I just redouble my efforts at the same thing? Well, today Jesus is going to say it's not working because 99.9% of people are on the wrong road. That road never ends well. So here's what I want you to see. It's a brilliant question, and I think he ripped it off. I, I think he stole it from Jesus. Jesus asks this all the time. Really? I've never seen that, Pesher. I'm, I don't, I've never, really, what Bible do you have? I'll show you. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. If you're really fast, turn to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, 16 through 20. He uses it right here. It's brilliant. And some of you know this story. It's when a rich, young ruler. Now, look at those three things I just told you. Isn't that a, a guy who's got it all in today's society? He's young. He's rich. He's powerful. He's a ruler. But he had, an, he had a problem. There was something to eat away at his heart. He was scared. So he came to Jesus 
and he asks him something. This is what, we'll pick up the story right here, verse 16. And behold, a man came to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So already he's got this notion that you get eternal life by doing good stuff. It's a wrong notion. It's nowhere in the Bible, but he's got this. And he's not different than you and I. In a modern sense, it would be like this. He wants steps to happiness, right? Good teacher, uh, can you give me the three steps to happiness? Because I've got all this going for me. I'm not really happy. Could you tell me a conference I can go to? Can you give me a good book to read? Is there a seminar that you teach? That kind of a thing. And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. All right, by the way, who's the one that is good? Jesus says there's only one who's good. That's God. So what he's trying to get him to see is that if you just knew who you were talking to, if you really just knew who I am, you wouldn't even have to ask this. But he's going to take a different route. Like I said, he asks this question. So instead, he's going to go, first of all, rich young ruler, doesn't mention this guy's name. First of all, I'm not Zig Ziglar. I'm not Zig Ziglar, so you don't need a step. You don't need a program. You don't need a book. You need an encounter with God. You need an encounter with me. You need to see me for who I am. Other than that, no steps are going to help you. But he's going to get him there a different route. And I love how he does it. Let's continue. He says, if you really want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And then Jesus responds, and listen to this, gang, and he skips the first two. Which, if you know the Ten Commandments, the first two are foundational. The first one is foundational. The first two are similar. They're almost the same, but all the rest are built on that, yet Jesus skips them. You know why? I bet you want to know why. He skipped them because this guy's issue is the first two commandments, and Jesus already knows that in his heart. Don't have any idols before me. Don't worship other gods. He knows that's really his issue. But he's going to go and expose that keeping all the good laws and being a good moral person does nothing. So he skips those two and he goes, which commandments? I will tell you. Don't murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, I've kept these all, all of these. In fact, in other places it says, since I was young, I've kept every one. Really? <laughs> that's pretty good. Jesus replied, How's that working for you? And you're looking in your Bible right now going, no, he didn't. I don't see that in my Bible. He didn't say that. How do you get that? Well, those aren't the exact words that Jesus used. But I can tell that's where he's leading this guy because of the guy's next line. Jesus answered him, gave him just what he want. Obey the commandments. Oh, good. Well, I do. I've obeyed all those. And I'm saying that Jesus' heart is, okay, then why are you here? Why are you standing before me? How's that working for you? If you've done that, why do you have that feeling in your heart? How do I know that? Because he said to Jesus, what do I still lack? Why isn't this working? Translation, even though I've been so careful to be good and kept the commandments, it doesn't seem like it's working for me. I feel like I'm still lost. It's not working out. Well, it may work out now. Right there, he had the best opportunity of his life to turn things around. It's one of the saddest stories in the New Testament, though. He walked away. You know why? Because Jesus' response was, I can get you there. Here's how you do it. Go sell all your stuff. Just go sell it. Give up your position. Come follow me for the adventure of a lifetime. And the guy's countenance just fell. He got sad. He got upset. You know what Scripture says he did? He walked away sad. He walked away sad. Do you know what that exposed? 
the first commandments don't have any other gods before me. He had another God before him. He can't keep that one. His money, his position, his wealth, his youth, everything, he could not give that up. He loved that more than God. So he chose a path that would never, could never lead to happiness. He already exposed that. He said, I'm not happy. I'm missing something. But he couldn't let go. And today, many of you, all of you really, will be faced with that same choice. He's going to lay it out very simply for you through his word. And you'll see which path you're on. If you're on the right path, you'll stay on it to continue joy. If you're on the wrong path, you'll have a choice. That's the good news. Bad news is some of you won't take it. So let's continue on here. All of us want, parents, let me see your hands. Keep them up if you want your kids to be happy at all. That's good. That's good. I actually saw one hand go down. Put it back up because that's weird. I've never met that parent who's like, I want him to be miserable. Okay, I'm watching you then. Oh, that's not bad. You can put him down now. <laughs> that's okay. You want your kids to be happy. Uh, that's a good thing. And as Christians, Christ followers who, who respond, yeah, I want my kids to be happy, I'll bet you would say, and I know, I want them to come to know the Lord Jesus at a, at a young age, and I want them to live for him all their life. That would make me happy. And that's what you say, and that's what most Christians say, but how are you living? Because it's not so much your words that betray what you really want. It's the way we live it out. So let's say, like most good Christians, you say you believe that in your heart. Well, at least on paper, I want them to come to know Jesus. I want them to live all out for him. That's what I want. But here's how we actually raise them. We let them play video games four hours a day as though we're training them to become military assassins and Call of Duty Black Ops, right? So you want them to worship the Lord and love him with all your heart. Looks like you're uh, raising an assassin to me. No, no, loves Jesus. He kills people, loves Jesus. All right, let's go on to another thing you do. Allow them to watch TV whenever, whatever they want. Turns out all their friends watch TV that has these symbols on it. TV-MA. What is that? I don't know. They like those shows. That's TV Mature, which today is worse than what R-rated was just 10 years ago. Worse than R-rated. Do you know your kids are watching that? Kids mature faster now. You know, be a cool parent. Give us freedom. We'll love you. Okay, so you're letting them do that. Here's another thing. And by the way, I told you it's going to be an offensive deal. Sometimes I kid around about that. But as I look back at my preaching, I actually do offend people every week. But this one is no joke. This one is a hurdle. And this you'll see clearly that Jesus is a stumbling stone. So if you're getting ready to go, owie, here it comes in our culture. Maybe you're traveling every Sunday with little Johnny because he's going to be a soccer star one day. You just know it. So you've decided, you want him to love Jesus with all the heart and center your life and make him priority number one. But you've missed church for five months in a row, traveling teams, because he's got promise. He's going to be in the Olympics. Really? He's five. Yeah, but he's got a lot of potential. He can't even kick the ball. I don't care. We're training. What are you doing? We're training him on this path. Do you know what the chances are that your kid's going to be gold medalist or, or in the Olympics? Or somebody going, careful, my kid's different. The rest of these kids stink. I've seen them play, but my kid... The chance is like one in a 10 million. I was looking at this the other day. Even good ones. Even if he's the best on a college team, he's up against all the best on all the colleges, tens of thousands across the country. I mean, the odds of this. When we say our number one priority is that he'll love Jesus and Jesus will be the number one in his life, is the atmosphere we're creating matching up with our desire for our kids. Going to get just a little harder and then we'll have fun. Here it is. Maybe you're practically emptying your bank account so little Susie can take equestrian riding lessons and jumping. By the way, a lot of these things aren't 
are not bad to play sports, obviously. Not bad to do things like this. But what if you're giving your whole life for it? And how about this? You show them by your own lifestyle that church is fine if there's nothing else to do and you happen to be home and it's 72 degrees and all the planets are lined up and it's not raining, you're not having a bad air day. You'll go. Okay. After years of this kind of atmosphere, carefully nurtured in the home, how are your kids going to turn out? Now, put that on pause. You probably know the answer. And let me tell you something. Atmosphere is an interesting term. One of the names for Satan in the Bible is this. He is called the prince of the power of the air. What is that? Prince of the air. Who wants that title, right? I don't want to be king of the air, but it doesn't mean air in Greek. You know what it means? Atmosphere. So you know how Satan gets you to do things his way or take the wrong path or live your life wrong? You know how he does it? I probably gave it away, right? He creates atmospheres that make it hard to do anything else. So, for example, and I just made an example of, if we want our kids to love Jesus and follow him, how are they going to do that when we've created the perfect atmosphere to go the other way? I'm just saying, how's that possible? In fact, I'm saying, how's that working for you? So, could have picked a million different examples. I just chose the most offensive. So, here's what we do, by the way, when maybe they get 15, 16 years old and we start looking and going, they're drifting. They're not right. We, we, we run to the youth pastor. We run to our pastor and we say, fix them. Or, check this out, we redouble our efforts in the same area. In the same area. Okay? I mean, it's like the thing with Dr. Phil. I actually saw a couple on there and the guy is just, you know, complaining about his wife. And, you know, I give her everything that she wants. I buy her stuff. And do we go over this? Stop me if we have. Okay, this is this, this true story. I buy her everything she wants. I got her a Lexus, bought her a big home. It's one of the few episodes that I watched. And she still ran off with the pool guy. Still ran off with the pool guy. Well, she's there sitting with him on the episode. And this is all Dr. Phil's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. He's trying to get it out. So she's here now. So he says, that. well, I thought we were doing better. She came home, and, and I thought we were doing a lot better. And, and, and I even bought her a diamond bracelet. But she's just as cold as ice, and I don't know what to do. So Dr. Phil finally speaks. He goes, so let me, let me see if I have it right so far. You bought her a lot of things. You let her shop whenever, wherever she wanted, and just kept buying her more and more things to show your love for her. She ran off, and now she's back. So you're buying her things again. You're back to that, right? Uh-huh. Now she questioned, how's that working for you? That's when he said it. How's that working for you? Brilliant. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he's saying, are you going to keep on doing the same thing over and over again? Because from where I'm sitting, it doesn't look like that's working. Unless what you say you want is not what you really want. And I can tell you love your wife and you want her to come home, so it is what you want. Get off that dumb path. She doesn't care about that. I don't think the pool guy can afford anything. So that ought to tell, sorry if you're a pool guy, but that ought to tell you what she really wants. Now, here's how I want us to think about the Beatitudes. We're going to dive in them right now. The Beatitudes are what Jesus would say right after asking us, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? He basically said it to the rich young ruler, how's that working for you? And he said, it's not. He said, then just get off that path. Give up that stuff that's become your God. Follow me for the adventure of a lifetime. And he said, I can't. I can't. And he walked away. Some of you will be confronted by the Holy Spirit in a matter of moments, and he's going to say, come follow me. Get off that 
path you're on. It doesn't lead to what you want. Some of you will say, I'm ready to get off. And some of you will say, I can't. And to those of you that can't, I pray you come next week and the week after. And I pray the time comes soon that you'll see the dead end. But it's true. Some of us have to travel further down that painful path before we're broken enough to see it. But perhaps these Beatitudes will help. Luke 6, 20 through 23, and then the next three verses after that. And Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed. Now in the Latin, the Greek, this actually means happy. So for the next nine verses, that's how it's going to start off. Happy, happy, happy. Jesus knows how to hook a crowd. He knows that people, their first thing is, how do I live this life with a little bit more feeling? Some things seem so bland. How can I find happiness? That's not wrong to look for that. Of course we want that. So he addresses one of our strongest concerns from the first word. He's in a, got an attention grabber here. And it's no different today, right? Our United States Constitution guarantees the pursuit of happiness. But listen, Jesus' Constitution and his word tells you how to find it. Actually, it tells you how to find it. To have it guaranteed the pursuit of it, big deal. Big deal if you don't know where it's found. Jesus says, forget that. I will lead you right to it if you follow me. So I'm looking at these two different roads this week. And the other day, I looked at the bestsellers about happiness. Here they are, no particular order. Secret to happiness. There's a secret. Get this book. They'll tell you what it is. The Happiness Project. Here's the third book. Check this out. 12 Secrets to Being Happy. I, I thought there was one. Now there's 12. Nudge, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Notice how the author, like many of us, ties health and wealth to happiness, a, a notion Jesus is going to dispel in just a moment. The Happiness Hypothesis, The Pursuit of Happiness, Delivering Happiness, The Secret, another one. Now, I just want to warn you, Right off the bat, 99.9% .9 of what is written out there today that you'll find at Barnes & Noble, that you'll hear on Oprah, any of that is going to tell you to take the completely opposite road that Jesus is going to tell you to take to happiness. 99% of it. You're going to have to pick. Who's lying? All right. Verses 20 to 26. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you. This doesn't sound like blessings, does it? Let's keep going. And when they exclude you, because that's fun, and revile you and spurn your evil name on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are rich? Most people are shooting for that. But he says, well, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you're going to end up hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you because they spoke well of the false prophets. Now, I just want to be honest about this list because I know some of you are thinking it. So I'll take the heat. This is upside down. This does not seem like a great thing, does it? I mean, since when... Did poverty, hunger, and sorrow, and rejection become blessings or good things? Sounds like the eighth grade to me. I don't want to go back to that. And when did those four things, you know, become blessings? And when did these woes, you know, being rich and being satisfied with food, full stomach, and joy in being loved by people, when did they become wrong? Does Jesus have this backwards? Is this upside down? Gang, in every great success story, every best-selling book about it, every Oprah episode, every, you know, anything that people really clamor for, doesn't it go the opposite? Doesn't it go rags to riches? Jesus, it's rags to riches, not riches to rags. You got it, you got it backwards. 
She says, no, I don't. It does not move this way. They have it wrong. It does not move that way. Jesus said, it moves this way. And people are looking at it going, somebody needs to tell them. This is really easy stuff. It doesn't move that way, Jesus. He says, yes, it does. You're wrong. You can travel down that path. You might even get years down it. I hope not, because it will not end the way you think. By the way, let me get this out of the way. Jesus is not against blessing his children. Not at all. I mean, there are people that were wealthy in the Bible. David, Solomon, Abraham, Job, all kinds. But that is not how he blesses every time like some formula. That's not how it works. That's not the road you've got to seek out as though the money and the blessings are your God instead of the one that blessed you. That's the danger in that. So everything moves that way. And Jesus said, no, moves the other way. You don't, you don't see the movie or see the story. He was born a billionaire, died decrepit and alone. Selah. <laughs> it doesn't really work like that. But friends, raise your hand if you're over 35. It's okay. All right. Lots of young crowds, not many hands. So for you old people, let me say this. Jesus is saying, this is not the movie Arthur. You guys remember that movie? Life is not like the movie Arthur. It's more like regarding Henry. Remember that? Now think about this. It's not like the Count of Monte Crisco. It's more like Les Miserables. And so we look at that and we go, but I don't want Les Miserables. I saw that. I don't want that. Yeah, it ended beautiful for that guy. I love that. I don't want to do that. I don't want regarding Henry. He got shot. But look at how it ended up. In fact, most of us, if we're honest, would go, I'll take the Donald Trump story and try my hardest to be humble. I opt for that. How about that? But Jesus says, you want to be happy? It's not found down that road. It's not found down that road. So I got a question. Since this is so upside down and sounds crazy, and it would have sounded crazy to them back then, why doesn't Jesus lose his audience right here? Because there's a lot of times Jesus taught, and he did miracles, and he fed them, and then he got to this tough stuff, and they just left. This time they don't leave. You know why? Because at this point, he's done miracles. He's even raised the dead, healed the sick, given sight to the blind, all this stuff, and he teaches with powerful authority. So he's got deposits in their emotional, spiritual bank. So they're going, you know, if anybody else would have said this, I'd walk away, but you back up what you say. So I'm still listening. I don't feel too good about this, but I'm still listening. No one leaves. This is so upside down, but they're intrigued. And he teaches with authority. And with authority, he tells people, by the way, I'm not telling you, look at these Beatitudes. He doesn't say, and the poor, Father, I pray that the poor, one day that they'll be blessed and that they will be rich. And I pray that those are hungry. Please, one day, please make it right and fill them. And no, he says, check it out. They are blessed. And the hungry are blessed. And those that are being spurned and ridiculed and mocked and all for my name's sake, they are, not will be, they are. This is how it is. Those are the blessed ones. And the other ones who have it with their temper, they're the ones that are really cursed. It's not going to be like that. It already is. It's already taking shape as I speak. He's stating how things are. Do you understand this? Because this is important. The poor are blessed, the hungry are filled. Woe to those who are rich. This is how it really is. Now, before I lose you on this, because you may be thinking the same thing, Pastor Rob, you don't have the deposits that Jesus did. No miracles that I've seen so far, so I'm drifting. Hit it fast. I want to tell you why this passage in Luke makes that difficult to believe, what Jesus just said, the one in Luke. Because all you got to do is look around or turn on the TV. Let's take hunger 
and you hear like 10,000 people are dying a day because they don't have good drinking water or they're hungry, and you look at that and go, that's not a blessing. Or you look and you go, look at the poor. They can't afford anything. I've been on mission trips. It's not a blessing. It's a horrible way to live. It's more like a curse. I get that. Well, then what in the world is Jesus really saying here? To find out, keep a finger in that passage, but go to Matthew chapter 5. By the way, I tried to get you ready for this message. On Facebook, I told you on our page to go read chapter 5. Some of you that did, you're sitting back going, I know where he's going already. The others are lost. I'll try to bring you up to speed. Matthew 5. And some of you are also thinking, Pastor Rob, we're in Luke, a series on Luke. Why do we have to go to Matthew? Gang, when you don't understand a passage or it seems off, off, always use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Scripture sheds light on Scripture. Do not use some other guy or, or some book or some secular thing. Use Scripture, and it'll be made plain. Five sheds a lot of light on Luke 6. Now, by show of hands, how many of you are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount? Raise your hand. Let me see. Okay, most of you. How many of you thought this was it? I mean, it's the same words pretty much. But gang, I'm here to tell you, this is not the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Sermon on the Plain. Some of you going, I'd never heard of the Sermon on the Plain. You have now, that's it. Luke 6. Where do you get that, Pastor Rob? You had your finger in Luke 6. Go back up to verse 12. Look at that a minute. It says, in those days he went out to the mountain to pray. Okay, so he's going up to the mountain to pray now. Then skip down to verse 17. What's it say? And he came down with his disciples and stood on a level place, okay? When you go to Matthew 5 and it describes where he's at, he's teaching this up on the mountain. This is down on the plain. These are two different sermons. But Pastor Rob, they're almost identical. They're so much alike. You know what? Jesus probably taught this sermon, this famous sermon, over and over and over again. And I'll bet that bothers some of you. Some of you thinking, in his three-year ministry, he's repeating himself? Why would the Son of God do this? The same reason I do. First of all, repetition is the key to learning. Second of all, I haven't taught one week during the launch or, or launch team and, or during the five or six weeks we've actually been a church where it's been the same crowd. Really? Yeah, like I said, it's a different crowd every week. Most people in America, even at Impact, only come once every couple of weeks. In fact, during the launch team, I taught on our five purposes several times. And it never fails after every one. People are like, man, that's good. I never heard you teach on that before. You ought to teach on that more, Pastor Rob. At that point, I want to extend to them the right hand of fellowship, to the throat. At that, at that moment, come on. But I don't do that because that's not pastorly. That's not a very pastorly thing to do, so I don't do that. Instead, I say, you're probably, probably right. This is important stuff. So, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. If you go back to Matthew, it's going to say, blessed are you who are poor, and it's going to add something to it. It adds to that. So let me say, Jesus is not just talking about poor people. All poor people are not blessed. Some poor people seem what? Don't they seem cursed? And in fact, it is. In fact, there's different reasons for being poor, aren't there? Some people, let me just say it because you won't. I'm the one who'll do it. Some people are poor because they're lazy. Some people are poor because tragedy. Some people are poor because where they were born. He's not talking about that. Look at what Matthew adds. It is, verse 3, blessed of chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that's a game changer. He's talking about something else. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying not people that are poor because of laziness, tragedy, abuse, or reasons beyond their control. More like 
people who choose a life to serve God all out that isn't going, they know they're giving something up. It's kind of, it's a beautiful life, like Mother Teresa. Beautiful life. But if she chose that to get rich, that was a pretty dumb choice, right? I'm just saying. It's talking more about the blessings that come with that that are deeper and richer. Filled with joy, though she chose a path that wasn't ever going to make her rich. He's saying that those poor in spirit types are blessed. So I'm going to give you these four things in my words. This is how you change to the right path. Here's the first one. Truly happy people start out broken. Truly happy people start out broken. Let's compare and contrast here a second. The world says first step to happiness is you got to fight for it. you got to be assertive and confident. And you have to highly esteem yourself and feel good about who you are. By the way, Jesus doesn't want you feeling all lowly like I'm worthless and have false humility. There's a place for, for feeling good about yourself. It says love your neighbor as yourself. God doesn't want you to hate yourself, but that is not the first step. And if you make that the first step, you'll never find it. The first step is to be poor in spirit, and that's the opposite. Happy are those who are poor in spirit, or those who realize their own spiritual poverty, because, now why, look up here, get this, why would that be step number one? Because anyone who has truly encountered the Lord will inevitably feel poor in spirit. Anybody who's truly encountered the Lord will inevitably feel poor in spirit, by comparison. When you meet God, I've never seen, that's why it bothers me, gang, when I meet these people who say, yeah, I've been, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. Really? Yeah, me and Jesus are like that. We're buds, man. We're best friends. Or the Doobie Brothers type of pro. Jesus is just all right with me. No, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. I don't know what Jesus you met, but that's not the one of the Bible. If you meet him, you immediately are poor in spirit. You immediately realize your brokenness. Now, my son was telling me this the other day. You know, he's like, it's like a fan, like a Panthers fan. They think they're a great fan because they're wearing, is it black and blue? Blue and black? Black and blue, like beat up. That's kind of, no, but it's blue and black. What are the Panthers' colors, people? I don't know. Blue and black. Wow. Okay. So you go to a game. You got invited. You're, you're at a family's or friend's house. You're up in Wisconsin. You go to a Green Bay game, right? And you think you're a great fan. They're playing the Panthers until you get there and realize it's 24 degrees and there's these five fat white guys with no shirt on and cheese on their head. All of a sudden, you're poor as a fan, aren't you? All of a sudden, you're looking at that going, I'm not a fan at all compared to that. And that's a terrible example because, I mean, no, it's a good one, Nathan. But, it's a, but listen, the, the depth and the breadth, the, the, the distance between Jesus and you is, is a million times. If you've encountered him, you're going to hang your head low. Think about it. What did Peter say after spending a lot of time with Jesus? When it finally clicked and he realized who he was, he looked at Jesus and said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. That's when it all clicked. For Peter. That's when Peter lit up and became the rock and really got on fire. Not until he realized who Jesus really was. And he couldn't get there until he was what? Poor in spirit. So until you're poor in spirit, you can't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then when you're poor in spirit, you can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then you're blessed because you get salvation. I don't know any other greater gift than salvation. If there's a greater gift, tell it to me. To know that you'll spend eternity in heaven versus hell is the greatest gift you will ever get. So he says, you want to be blessed? Blessed are the poor in spirit because they will arrive at that point in their heart where they can look at God, encounter him, and get saved. Now, all of a sudden, this is making some sense. Next verse. Blessed are those who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. So here's the second thing. Truly happy people satisfy spiritual hunger with spiritual food. Where'd you get that? 
Again, got to go to Matthew 5, where it is expanded. Verse 6 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, so this isn't talking about just hungry people getting food. It's talking about righteousness, for they will be satisfied. They hunger for the Lord's righteousness. They'll get it. See, Matthew adds for righteousness, and that's a game changer. Some of you are like, why doesn't Luke just do this? Luke's a doctor. He's just going to give the diagnosis. He's given the simple facts. Matthew's given it more expanded. All right, so first you're poor in spirit. By the way, Matthew will show you that there's a progression on this path. Did you catch it? First you're poor in spirit. Then you're mourning over your sin, which we'll get to in a moment. Then you find yourself meek. And what happens? At this point, you've gotten rid of what I just said before. You've gotten rid of that pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You've gotten rid of that pride. You've gotten rid of that self-grandeur and that self-exaltation. And you find yourself hungering and thirsting because you've emptied yourself of all that junk. So, this is worth writing down. Perhaps the single greatest reason people are not filled is because they have not been emptied. How come I'm not filled like that guy? How come he's so fired up about Jesus? I'm not. Because you're filled with something else. Explain it this way. My wife, I think, is an awesome cook. An awesome cook. She works and I work. She's a chiropractor. So I can't always have these meals. But when she's ready to do a meal, it's going to be five star. It's going to be awesome. And I'll tell you this. If I make the mistake, if we get our signals crossed, and, I, and, and she has told me, but I forgot, that there's going to be one of those meals. Let's say I stop at McDonald's on the way home, as I did once, one time. And I get, you know, a Big Mac or whatever and shake, and I just absolutely just fill myself up with junk food, fast food like that. And I go home. I'm not going to have an appetite anymore, no matter how good that meal is for her stuff, because I already filled up on the wrong kind of stuff. Now watch this. Some people have lost their appetite for God's word. I mean, I talk to way more people that go, I can't, I can't read it. It's just boring. I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't really want to read it. It's like a tranquilizer to me, Pastor. Puts me to sleep. Why? I mean, because it fascinates other people. They can't get enough of it. Why does it put you to sleep? Perhaps you're filled with something else. Perhaps you're already filled with something else. They no longer desire to worship. Perhaps like the rich young ruler, you've been worshiping something else. They don't even like going to church because perhaps they like going regularly somewhere else. They no longer crave righteousness. Soon they're no longer meek. Soon they're reversing the order. They're no longer mourning or poor in spirit because they're full of the fast food of self-importance. But when you empty yourself of self, happy are you because you're going to hunger once again for the things of God. That's just how it works. And it's really pretty simple, right? It's really actually pretty simple. And these, first and foremost, have a spiritual meaning, but they also have a physical meaning, and that's what we saw, gang, in Luke. So Luke is more the physical thing that comes later, but it's expanded in Matthew. All right, let's keep going. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. It's not that sorrow, again, in and of itself is a blessing, because it's not. There's probably not many of you, if I tapped you on the shoulder, said, do you like to cry? I love it. Cry all the time. Do you like being depressed? Oh, yeah. Can you get me there? Is there a pill for that? No, there's not a pill for depression except to get you out of it. Not many people want to go into it. So why is Jesus saying, blessed are the sorrowful? It depends on what you're sorrowful about. Because there's a certain kind of sorrow now. If you get that, 
that will definitely, positively be relieved with great joy. But there's a certain kind of sorrow now, it's not going to be relieved at all. So that's a curse. He is saying, everyone who has experienced real sorrow can attest to this. He's talking about tears shed for his sake. Tears for the lost. Tears for a culture that's being dragged ever downward into a moral abyss. Tears for the millions of unborn children that are killed in this country. Tears when the Christ bride, the church, is anemic and pitiful and powerless, when it should be powerful and mighty and going forth, when it should be a movement and it's just people attending. Tears for that, when it's just off somehow, when it should be on. Tears for the hungry, tears for the poor, tears for the orphan that we looked at, tears for the thing, because here's the next point, get it down, number three, truly happy people find that the things that break the heart of God are the same things that break their heart. All of a sudden, there's heart alignment. And why is this blessed? Because God who cannot lie says, I will make those things right, I promise. So you know they're going to be made right. So you're not wasting your tears. He will make it right. Versus people that, I've seen people cry over the most shallow things. Uh, what's wrong? A dent in my car. <laughs> Get it fixed. I misplaced my watch. How much was it? It was, it was 30 bucks, one of those Timex watches. You can't find it? Yeah. Buy a new one. Or, man, I broke up with my girlfriend. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, we're on our second date. She doesn't want to go out anymore. <laughs> girlfriend? You guys aren't even an item. That, I mean, we're, we're crying over shallow stuff. But listen, what makes us happy tends to parallel what makes us sad. So there's a danger in that. So if you're crying over shallow stuff, guess what? You will think shallow stuff can make you happy. And it doesn't work that way. You see the trap? It's brilliant. The prince of the power of the air creates atmospheres where it looks like the wrong road leads the right way. And it doesn't. And that brings us to the final blessing. Truly happy people are farsighted rather than nearsighted. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did it to the prophets. <laughs> Sounds upside down. Why would you? The most joy-filled Christ followers are the ones who long to be with Jesus. They're the ones who store up treasures in heaven. They're the ones who think about it all the time. They're the ones who realize, I'm not really a citizen here. I'm, what are you then? I'm an ambassador telling others about Jesus. This isn't my home. You guys wear the T-shirts, but do you believe it? Not of this world. Some of you look at that and go, that's a cool-looking T-shirt. Do you believe it? If you're a Christ follower, you're actually not of this world. Your home, when everything's going to be set right, is someday with Jesus after you die. That's the good life. That's the completely blessed life. So when they curse you and revile you for Jesus' name, celebrate because your stock in heaven's going way up. The only reason you wouldn't celebrate that is you don't really believe it. And you want the here and now stuff. I told you, this is not going to be easy. But it's true. So who's this for that's blessed? By the way, this is not for the Christian that is persecuted for dumb reasons. This is not for those that go to Westboro Baptist, okay? You ever seen those boneheads? 
and the, and the, and the picketing and the stuff that they do and the, and the heartbreak they bring because whoever's leading them is a complete moron. Have you ever seen that? I mean, they're, they're suffering. That's it. They've got their, that's not the kind of suffering. Or what about the bullhorn guy who gets on the corner and yells at everybody going by, God hates you, you're going to burn. That's attractive, isn't it? Don't you want to go, I am, I'm going to burn? How can I be like you, bullhorn guy? No, that's not what you want. It's not attractive. And it's not talking about, you're not, those guys aren't suffering for Christ's sake. They're suffering for idiocracy. Is that a word? It is now. They're suffering for being an idiot. Okay? They do suffer. That's not what he's talking about. This is referring to those who are despised, excommunicated, reproached, gossiped about, slandered about because of their loyalty to Jesus. Because it will said, like the Apostle Paul said, this life and all its sufferings, because he was taken into the third heaven, so he knows better than anybody else, said, you should have seen what I saw. And this guy was whipped 39 lashes five times. He was shipwrecked three times. He was stoned and left for dead twice. And he goes, that's nothing. That's nothing. I got a glimpse of heaven. Trust me when I say, by comparison, that's a joke. How could he say that? I don't, I've never even heard of anybody that suffered that much. It's the Apostle Paul. He can say it because he was taken to the third heaven and he saw it. And he's trying to go, guys, guys, get off that path. Wait till you see what's waiting for us. Get on that path. This is nothing. No matter how much you've suffered, if you saw what I saw, this is nothing. Okay, now what's the key? Pastor Rob, I want to be on this path. How do I know if I'm on it? The key to all four Beatitudes is found in this one phrase. On account of the Son of Man. On account of the Son of Man. See, things that in and of themselves would be a curse become a blessing when they're willingly endured for Jesus Christ. They become a blessing. But the motive must be love of Jesus. Otherwise, even if it's the most heroic sacrifice in the world, it's worthless, okay? Now, everybody look up here. It's kind of dark out there, so I want to make sure I see your eyeballs, the whites of your eyes. I have some homework for you. Because this would be pitiful if you just went home and said, there's two paths, one's right, one's wrong. I have no idea how to get on it. Here's how you get on it. I want you to be honest. This week could be the most challenging of your life. But here's what I want you to do. Take the most major areas of your life. They will be different for different people. Sit down with a journal and a pen and a Bible and take however much time you need to get to this question. If it's your family, if it's your wife, if it's your husband, if it's you as a student, if it's you at your job, you gotta get to this point. The way I'm living it now, the path I'm walking on now, How's that working for you? How's that working for me? I mean, if you'll take an honest look at that and go, it's not working. I want Jesus to be number one. I want to be filled with joy. I'm not. Then you got to conclude that that path's the wrong path. Am I right? Have the courage to get off of it. Have the courage to get off of it and get on the path that he has. Man, who doesn't want to be happy? It's not wrong. Who doesn't want to have an abundant life? Who doesn't want to be filled with joy? I've never met that person. But I've met a whole lot of people who say they want that, that are walking in the opposite direction. And here Jesus lays it out. And I get it. It looks upside down, but it's the right path. Because Jesus can't lie. He never sinned. So I don't care what area you got to look at. And some may be more challenging than the others. Maybe you're fighting in your marriage. All it is is fighting. And you go, but I'm right. They're wrong. Well, 
if you keep on saying you're right, how long have you been doing that? 20 years now. How's that working for you? Not so good. Well, then what path does God want? Put your spouse first. Try that. By the way, whatever you look at it, whatever you evaluate, if the answer is in any way, shape, or form, poorly, get off that road. Because none of us is guaranteed even the next breath. I may say, if you're not ready this week, then I'll see you next week. But you're not guaranteed that you'll be here next week. When's the time to answer Jesus, do you think? The second he calls. When he calls, you answer. Because you're not guaranteed a second call. And I have a feeling that Jesus called this morning to quite a few of you. And you're wrestling right now. In fact, let me do this. Didn't do it in the first service. Let me do it right now. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Some of you have been hanging out for a while. Some of you are brand new. And some of you do not know Jesus Christ. The gospel is the simplest, most beautiful thing ever. He came, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross in your place. It's what you deserve. It's what I deserve. But we couldn't pay the penalty because we've sinned. So he did it for you. And if you are broken enough to realize that that's true, then reach out to him now and invite him into your heart. So you're like, I want to do that. I don't know how to do that. Well, then let me lead you in a prayer. Can I do that? If you're ready to encounter him, if you're, if you're broken in spirit and you're ready to meet him, then just pray in your heart silently after me right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking my place on the cross. Thank you for showing me the path this morning. I'm not on it, Lord, but I'm changing roads right now. Forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now, God, I want to live blessed by you the rest of my life. I'm on the right path now, Lord. Please keep me on it from this day forward. For it's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Listen. Two things. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you didn't pray it to me, but you prayed it to God, then you just passed from death unto life. Remember that little card? I want you to do this on the card. I want you to check off, I gave my life to Christ, committed my life to Christ. By the way, guess what your next move is? To publicly profess Him through baptism to publicly profess them through baptism. Turn that card in because if you keep a secret, Scripture says, if you deny me before men, I also deny you before my Father. You must stand up. And if you're broken and really meant it, you will. Let us know on that card. We're gonna follow up with you. We've got some gifts and a Bible and things to help you on this walk. But you just made the biggest decision of your life. For the rest of us, let's pray. Father, challenging stuff. Thank you so much, Lord for showing me the broken road, Lord, that seems illogical. It doesn't seem like the right path, Lord, but I see it. The light went on today, God. But I need your strength and your power to walk this the rest of my days. Lord, when I wander, please do whatever it takes to keep me on the path. 
for it's in your name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.